Hello and welcome to Haaretz Weekly. I'm Allison Kaplan-Summer in Tel Aviv. They say that truth is stranger than fiction. Here in the Middle East, that saying generally holds up, particularly when it comes to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which seems more complicated and full of human drama than any novelist, filmmaker, or TV creator can come up with. My guest, Avi Sakharov, spent many years covering this reality, much of it here at Haaretz, where he was the Palestinian and Arab affairs correspondent between 2005 and 2012. He's written two books with Amos Harel, the Haaretz security analyst who's very familiar to listeners of this podcast, and he continues to work as a journalist covering the conflict. But these days, journalism is his side hustle. His real claim to fame is as the co-creator, with Lior Raz, of the international smash hit on Netflix, Fauda, where the real-life drama of Israel's endless battle for survival has become must-watch television around the world. The fourth season of Fauda just dropped on Netflix. Haaretz Weekly is supported by the journal Sapir, a favorite of business leaders, policymakers, and philanthropists. From Editor-in-Chief Brett Stevens, Sapir's quarterly magazine offers thought-provoking, heterodox, and practical ideas on how to create a thriving Jewish future. Featuring essays by today's leading Jewish voices, including Anshel Pfeffer, Howard Jacobson, Dara Horn, and Anat Wilf. Visit sapirjournal.org to read the new issue on culture and thought-provoking past issues on Zionism, education, cancellation, social justice, and more. Explore urgent ideas and perhaps gain a new perspective on Jewish issues and the Jewish community. Visit sapirjournal.org. That's S-A-P-I-R-Journal.org. Avi Sakharov, welcome to Haaretz Weekly. Thank you. Thank you very much. So honestly, I was torn between starting our conversation with discussing the news in the real world or talking about Fauda. Being a journalist, I can't resist the need to talk about today's headline in Haaretz, which is that U.S. Central Intelligence Director uh, William Burns has warned that Israel appears to be on the brink of another intifada. He was in the country two weeks ago, and he was just speaking at Georgetown, and he said that he was concerned that a lot of what we're seeing today has a very unhappy resemblance to some of the realities that we saw then. He was referring to his time as a U.S. diplomat during the Second Intifada, which you covered very closely uh, as a journalist. Would you agree with his assessment? I agree in what he is saying about the options for escalation. Uh, I'm not sure that it's going to look like an intifada, like an uprising, like a popular uprising, like the ones that we've seen at the end of uh, 1987 and at the end of September 2000. I think that we're already inside this new event. Uh, Don't call it an intifada, but let's call it some kind of uh, a confrontation between the Palestinians and Israelis. And you see the numbers, and you see the number of terrorist attacks, you see the number of casualties on the Palestinian side, the number of casualties on the Israeli side. It all comes to, you know, that if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck at the end of the day, this is a duck, meaning we are in a military confrontation, a very limited one. But listen, if we follow the news that just what happened in Jericho a few days ago, this is something that we haven't seen for more than 15 years. Actually, the last clashes, the real violence that took place between Palestinians and Israelis in Jericho was in 2006, when the Israeli army raided Jericho and took uh, the the killers of uh, 
the minister Zaevi. And before that, it was 2000. So there is something very big taking place in the West Bank already. Last week, I interviewed uh, Tamir Heyman, the former head of intelligence and the head of military intelligence, and he called it a high potential of escalation, and he thought it was the perfect storm, the combination of a lack of hope and prosperity among Palestinian youth, corruption in the Palestinian Authority, and sort of warming up for a potential succession fight when uh, Palestinian President uh, Mahmoud Abbas dies. Do you agree with that assessment of the reason for what we're seeing, or do you see other reasons? I think that he covered it all. I mean, uh, I think it's the despair on the Palestinian side, the disappointment for the leadership, the fact that the Palestinian Authority is losing control over big areas in the West Bank, its lack of uh, motivation to gain the, the control over those parts of the West Bank, and, of course, the change in the regime in Israel, the fact that we have a radical right-wing government that uh, took over and doesn't give any kind of uh, horizon to the Palestinians uh, nor to some major parts of the Israeli public in believing in some kind of uh, peace prospect between the two sides. Right. You wrote a piece in uh, Ynet recently. You're not busy enough. You still keep your hand in journalism. And the headline was, The Jerusalem Terror Attacks Made Idemar Ben-Gvir's Nightmare a Reality. I was thinking that Ben-Gvir is a character you probably couldn't write on a television show. He was arrested so many times, confronts the law so many times, and now he's head of security for the entire country, for Israel. Uh, Why were you uh, moved to write about Ben-Gvir? Well, I think that Ben-Gvir is trying to sell to the Israeli public some kind of an idea that is totally irrealistic, that is totally born out of a kind of a very childish uh, fantasy, almost infantilic fantasy, that we don't have a Palestinian problem, we don't have Palestinian people, the land is ours, and we will control the whole area between the River of Jordan and the Mediterranean with no issues, nothing. We just need to punch the Palestinians harder, and that will make them surrender. So I wish he was right, but he's not right. And um, now he's starting to understand the, the limits of power, the limits of using power. You know, I saw some kind of a declaration of his that for every rocket that will be shot from Gaza, Israel will shoot 50. As if it wasn't the situation that we had witnessed so many times in the last 15 years between Gaza and Israel, which is ridiculous. I mean, yes, Israel is bombing Gaza with 50 bombs for each and every rocket that is being shot from there. So what? Did it lead anywhere? Did it bring us any, any kind of a new situation? Nothing. So this is why, though, again, you, you cannot invent a character like his. I mean, the guy was accused in court for supporting terrorist group and now is in charge of the national security of the state of Israel. All right. In what we call a sharp transition from reality to fiction based on reality, um, for those of you living under a rock, the series that you have co-created that the fourth season just dropped on Netflix, an international smash hit, um, revolves around the activities of an Israeli undercover uh, unit who disguise themselves as Palestinians in the West Bank with the goal of uh, fighting terror. 
for those of us in Israel who have been here since the beginning of uh, the Fauda phenomenon and know you, my full disclosure, not only are you a veteran of Haaretz, but I have family members who have worked with you in the past. We know how surprised you were at first at how Israelis responded with such interest to the harsh realities of the occupation portrayed in Fauda that you were putting in front of them. And then it became a worldwide phenomenon. There have been so many conversations and debates as to whether Fauda glamorizes the occupation, it glamorizes terrorists, it humanizes both sides for each other. It's now been four seasons. Do you feel like you've arrived at a, this is what Fauda is trying to do, and has that vision changed over time? I'm not sure that I changed something. I'm not sure that we try to address the different critics that came from both sides. We just were trying to tell a good story to do a good TV show. So, of course, people from the, the left side or from the right side, they say what they say, and it's good, because I think that all the time that you have critics from both sides, it means that you're somewhere in the middle, somewhere in a very good place. And I, I think that the fact that people do criticize it and feel some kind of uh, passion to say something, whether on behalf of Fauda or against Fauda, I think that's a very good sign because, you know, you understand that you managed to touch something sensitive. And I think that the biggest enemy of a TV creator or an author, by the way, is that the audience will become indifferent, that the audience won't really care. The minute that you create an interest in the audience, that you create some kind of either enthusiasm or antagonism towards it, there's more buzz there's more people coming to watch it. People tweet about it, talk about it, write about it, and then immediately you have more people. Just like the BDS, you know, the BDS, when they went like two years ago, three years ago, against Fauda, against Netflix for airing Fauda. I think that they did a great service for Fauda. I mean, the minute that they published in their Facebook, in their wherever, Netflix should not air Fauda, blah, 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 blah. I can only imagine that, you know, young Palestinians who are following their websites and watching this kind of an advertisement, you know, when I was 16 or 17, when someone told me, don't watch this show, dead, the first thing that I did, I went and looked for it. I didn't have internet back then, but I was looking for it. So now they have internet and it's way, way easier, and they have Netflix, so it's way, way, way easier this is part of the reason that we became more popular in the Arab world and among Palestinians. So I know that some critics, like even in Aritz, I remember that Saeed Kashua wrote a huge article at the beginning of the second season, um, gave us the right not to like Fauda. Us, meaning the Arabs, meaning the Palestinians living in Israel. So go for it, Saeed Kashua. <laughs> and at the end of the day, yes, even Arabs, like Fauda. Are you surprised at how it gains interest from season to season? Or are you consciously sitting there saying, how are we going to up the ante next season? It's, you know, so, so compelling. I mean, really, everybody is talking about this fourth season. After one or two seasons, it might be a fluke, but there's, uh, there's really something there. Listen, it's pretty shocking for me. Every season, it's shocking for me. Just a few days ago, in the Lebanese press, in a French newspaper called L'Orient Le Jour, there's an article um, that's the headline is showing Lior's face, meaning Doron, number mm -hmm. one on Netflix. And then the, the lead headline, character, yeah. Yeah, and then the headline is saying, why do Lebanese 
hate to love Fauda. <laughs> so, what can I say? You know, I can only say, Baruch Hashem, Alhamdulillah, thank you God, just keep, keep bringing this on. The show is number one on Netflix in Lebanon, where a lot of the season uh, takes place. And it's in the top 10 in the UAE, in Qatar, in Jordan, a long list of also of European countries, but notably in the Arab world. How do you feel about the fact that much of the Arab world is getting their first real look at Israeli life through Fauda? It's sad, you know, <laughs> if this is the first look to understand what's going on. Listen, and, and I do not pretend to be a kind of a documentarist, okay? Fauda is not a documentary, and we're not showing reality. We're showing a story that Leo and I came with, together with the help of very good people. But basically, I would be happy if more people would be more educated about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, not from Fauda, but from reading the news, from understanding what's going on, not from being on Twitter or Instagram and then getting the, the fake news, but from reading more and being more educated about what's going on. This season, have you gotten a lot of feedback from Lebanese or Belgians, for that matter, since the opening of the season is set in Belgium? I don't know the exact numbers. I, I know that Europeans watch it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it became very popular in Europe. Maybe it's also because of, you know, that in the first three episodes, we are dealing with the so-called reality in Belgium. So without spoilers, can you talk about the story behind the season's plot, which involves an Israeli Arab policewoman with a brother who joined terrorist organization? Was it based on reality? And in general, are your season plots based on real life events? So it's based on a true story, partially a true story of uh, an Islamic Jihad terrorist that was one of the leaders of this organization. And one day the Israeli Shin Bet decided to pull him out and his family uh, to Israel without the children or the family really knowing that their father was uh, a collaborator, an agent for the Israeli security forces. And one day they find themselves one morning waking up in Israel, surrounded by Jews, Muslims, Christians in one of those, uh, you know, Ram Lod kind of cities. And they learned that their father, who was uh, one of the leaders of the Islamic Jihad, is actually working for the Israeli intelligence. So this is where it started. Then we thought of, you know, okay, let's do a trick and think about the next generation, the children. What are they dealing with? What do they suffer from? How can, how can we take it to a dramatic place? And this is how we got to, you know, those uh, brother and sister, that one had become a terrorist and the other one is a police officer. Can you take me behind the scenes of how a season evolves in terms of you and Leo getting the idea and developing the plot and how it moves through the process with your writers, with your producers? So it's a kind of a brainstorming all the way. We worked on the third and the fourth uh, season with uh, a chief scriptwriter named Noah Stolman, who's a genius, I must say, and he's a great guy, and we love him. And... Noah eh, was working with us right from the beginning, meaning when you try to sit down and s ask yourself, okay, how can I bring something new? How can I do something different comparing to the former season? How can I make it even a better uh, season comparing to the others? And honestly, I didn't think that that was better. I thought that we're going to get tons of 
critics saying, ah, it's not uh, like the third, it's not like the second, it's not like the first, it's not as good as the former ones. You don't know. You don't know till it's aired and then you see the reactions. Um, actually, I think that, you know, it feels different, this fourth season, and maybe because of that, people hooked up into it. It's not that we change completely, Fauda, but something about it, about the way that we shot it, about the story that is a bit more complicated than the usual, I think that that's what made people even more hooked than usual. I've heard people say that they hope this is really fictional and that real IDF commandos don't go rogue as often as Doron does and disobey orders as much as your characters do. Do you sometimes feel like you're torn between the drama, uh, you know, the best dramatic twist and what you think people in the real world, in the real Israeli security services, how they would behave? Of course. Of course. And we're dealing with that on daily basis, meaning uh, while we are writing it, really on hourly basis, is this real? Can this happen? Maybe it's too much of um, drama. Maybe it's too irrealistic. Uh, we're always following, you know, the, the footsteps of realism and trying to make it feel real. Sometimes we know it's not going to look real, but we need it for the drama. But that's the thing that we're dealing with. Um, you know, the, this, uh, this kind of a very fragile line between fiction and reality. And this is the place that Fauda lives in. You go very deep into the family lives, you know, the human drama of these people that have this crazy, crazy job role in life that at one point Leo Raz, who plays Doron, lived in real life. Do you do a lot of research or conversations with people in these jobs with their families to see what they go through, or is this all just script writing? No, it's always with some kind of research, with some kind of uh, inspiration from true characters, true people, true events. Um, and yes, some of it, of course, we fictionalize, but I think that in many cases it's things that we heard, that we know of, from people around us, from friends. So this fourth season presented a special challenge, kind of a last-minute crisis when a conflict that had nothing to do with Israel interfered. Originally, you were supposed to film the Belgium segments in Ukraine, no? Yes, but then really a few weeks before we were shooting the show, so everything started in Ukraine. And I remember the, the discussion that we had whether we should, whether we shouldn't, then we said, yeah, but it's only going to happen on you know, the eastern parts of Ukraine, so maybe we can shoot in Kiev. And people were trying to convince me, let's do it. And at the end of the day, I really remember that I called a journalist uh, that is following the news in Europe, Nadav Eyal, and I asked him, and he said, you know what, don't take the risk. If, do it somewhere else if it's not big economic damage. And at the end of the day, this is what we did. We thought of, you know, why take the, the risk? Let's um, pull it and do it somewhere else. Turned out to be a good call, it seems. Yep. So you seem to live this dual life now. You are developing more projects in Hollywood that uh, you can tell us about. You continue uh, with Fauda. And yet you're still, to a certain extent, keep your hand in as a working journalist, even though you're so busy. Why do you stay in? I'm wondering if it's to help keep mining ideas for Fauda, but why do you stay in journalism? First of all, my agent is really pushing me hard. <laughs> and 
Um, no, but uh, seriously, because it's a passion, because I like it. I'm not the real journalist. Let's be clear about it. I'm not the one that is now kicking asses in the West Bank and going and travel to Gaza and meet Hamas people. I'm an analyst, so I'm writing from time to time about what's going on on the Palestinian side. Um, that's it. So your co-creator, Lior, has turned himself into something of an international anti-hero star. He's been asked to play other roles in films. He has a lot of work in Los Angeles. You guys made another Netflix series, Hit and Run. Any other projects coming up? And also, are you involved in some of the, I guess, remakes of Fauda that are being developed in other countries? Right now, there's only one remake in India. It's a show called Tanav. And yes, uh, I am very much involved in all the other projects that we're having. I mean, I'm not talking about Leo's acting career, but we have a show coming for Showtime, an espionage thriller. And we have many other projects uh, that we are developing right now, writing uh, and in the process of selling. I mean, not just Leo, so many of your cast members in the casting in Fauda is very on point. The Israeli policewoman being played by Lucy Ayub, who's a news presenter and a host on Israeli television, and no one really knew what kind of an acting potential she had. You've really uh, launched some amazing careers now with Fauda. Thank God. Baruch Hashem. Again. Alhamdulillah. Yes. I think that we helped many people in front of the camera, behind the camera. And there's something very cosmic, I don't know, uh, something very magical uh, with Fauda, I must say. It's not only about the success of the show and the success of the people uh, that are working in this project. It's also about the way that it is done. I mean, if you would come and visit on the set of Fauda, you would see that it's different than the other TV shows. Uh, it's, there's some kind of a chemistry, there's some kind of easygoing, very Israeli style of shooting a show, it's a lot of fun and jokes and people, yes, arguing and fighting just like good Israelis, but at the end of the day, it's more than anything else, uh, kind of a big family. Given some of the criticism of the show, are any of the Arab actors, Muslim actors that you approach um, hesitant to participate in Fauda, or is everyone just excited about jumping on the bandwagon? No, we are. there are some people that weren't that happy about joining Fauda. And from time to time, I do read about people that are saying uh, bad things about Fauda. And it's very sad. There's even one actress specifically that was in Fauda. And after he finished his uh, job working for us, he criticized Fauda. And I didn't like it. But basically, again, I think that, you know, all those people that are saying bad, bad things on Fauda, Palestinians, not Palestinians, I mean, you cannot argue with the numbers and you cannot argue with the fact that it is a very popular show among Arabs, whether in Lebanon or in the West Bank or in other places in the Middle East. Yeah, I saw an article in Arabian Business where uh, the person wrote, as a main character, Daron is a popular archetype for Lebanese viewers, the fearless hero whose physical strength is apparent and whose morals are rooted in his community. Macho caretakers with advanced fighting skills have a strong fan base in the Arab world based on relatability or attraction. And one Lebanese interviewee called Daron her crush. So yeah. you feel like you're making a contribution towards possible warming of the relationship between Lebanon and Israel? Exactly. That's the aim. 
Okay. So for the fan base, I just have to ask about how the ideas for and possibility for Fauda season five is coming along. No spoilers as to what happens in season four. And I'm curious when you come up with your ideas for the Fauda seasons, are you thinking now more about your Israeli audience or the people around the no, world? No, the, the Israeli audience. And we're still fighting about the fifth season, in, not only on the content side, but also on the business side. So we're not sure that there's going to be a fifth season, but let's hope. Uh, we know what the fans are hoping, Avi. Yep, I know. Avi Sakharov, thank you so much for coming on Haaretz Weekly. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that wraps things up for this edition of Haaretz Weekly. Thanks to my guest, Avi Sakharov, to my producer and editor, Nara Malkin. I'm Alison Kaplan-Summer, and until next time, shalom from Tel Aviv.